Welcome to Propel, a podcast by Fellowship Pacific to propel you and your ministry forward in the mission God has for you. I'm your host, Jessica Powell, and today I have the privilege of bringing you the first episode of our fifth season of the podcast. So to kick things off in this first episode, we thought it would be good to have a conversation about leadership. After all, it's the start of a new ministry year, and once again, we find ourselves starting a ministry year in the middle of a whole lot of change and uncertainty that makes leading well even harder than it usually is. So we decided to talk to some experienced leaders who know all too well the challenges that come with leadership, and who also happen to be on our very own Fellowship Pacific team. In this episode, you get to hear from Krista Penner, Elizabeth Faulkner, and David Harita as they have a conversation about leadership and share about the good, the bad, and the ugly from their own leadership journeys. These three have a lot of leadership experience, and let me tell you, they have plenty of great stories to tell. So let's get to it. Here is Krista Penner, Elizabeth Faulkner, and David Harita. All right, I want to welcome everybody here to the Propel podcast. I am sitting on Zoom with David Harita and Elizabeth Faulkner, and we're going to talk to you today. Yes, yay, we're going to talk to you today about what really goes on with the good, the bad, and the ugly of leadership. I know you're all thinking out there in podcast land, well, those three, they've been in leadership a long time. They know what's going on, and we're here to tell you today that we are going to bust the myth. We are learning just like everybody else is learning about how to do things. And believe it or not, there have been moments in this leadership journey where I have gotten it wrong. David has fallen right off a cliff and biffed it. And Elizabeth, like a lemming, has followed right after. We have just had some of those moments and we thought we'd talk to you about the leadership journey that we've been on, the things that God has taught us along the way. And so we hope you join us for this next hour as we just have a candid conversation about all of these things. So welcome here, David and Elizabeth. Hooray, we're here. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I know, you know, I know it's, it's not so exciting to do a podcast with people that you work with every day, but I think we can have some fun today. And as we share with our listeners, uh, you know, some of those moments in our own leadership development, where we figured out how we needed to show up in the world in order to influence people. And so just to start us off, first thought that comes into your mind, David, about Uh, what you think of when you see or hear the word leadership. Okay, so first word that pops to mind is cost. It's pretty straightforward. I I think a lot of people want to be leaders. They desire it. They dream of it. They think of the day when they're leading stuff. They don't necessarily count the cost. I think Jesus had something to say about that, about building a tower, but also true in leadership. If you think you go there and it won't cost you and you're in charge, you're dreaming, you're in some other world. Ah, that's good. That's good. Elizabeth, I'm going to ask you the same thing. First word that pops into your mind when you hear the word leadership. Well, the first word that pops into my mind is influence, which you already said, Krista. So I always think of that first and just, you know, leaders are those people who take that first step right towards whatever vision or goal they have they're the ones that are going to take the first step forward and so i always think that to be that kind of leader to go ahead of everybody else you're going to have to have a lot of courage and lately and we always think about this we think about how character how important character is and i just i don't know lately i just maybe everybody out there is thinking about that too just how important it is that our leaders have character, not just that they're good at taking that first step forward, but that they have the character to keep on going and to do that well without doing really stupid things. Yeah, it's the stupid things that are so interesting to watch, though, isn't it? Uh, because yeah, they're kind of they're kind of fun. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and hopefully, we look at it and go, "Oh, what not to do?" Part one. You know, mm-hmm. as you were saying that, Elizabeth, I was thinking about you know this word and some of my experience over the past number of years. And so often in places I've been, where I'm kind of the leader, either I'm the teacher at the front of the room or I'm leading something in some regard, and I'll have someone come up to me and go, "I really want to do what you do." I, you know, and kind of back to what David talked about, 
I think they're saying that without really counting the cost. Like what really goes into being an effective, influential leader? What is the cost? And my pat answer uh, usually goes something like this. So you want to get up in front of the room and lead the charge. You want to give the presentation. You want to be kind of the speaker leader in the room. So I always tell them, go back to your local church and sign up to teach grade four boys Sunday school. Because really, in grade, you can't teach a more difficult group in Sunday school. They're pretty tough. And I know, Elizabeth, you've had lots of experience with teaching young kids the word of God. But I kind of figure if you can teach like an elementary school boy the word of God, you can teach anybody the word of God. You can lead anybody if you can lead somebody in grade four. Uh, because they have no interest in following you. They don't think you're cool. There's all kinds of things going on there. And really, the cost involved is a cost of humility. And I think that's probably the first word that comes to my mind uh, when I think about what it looks like to lead. It's really knowing and understanding what it looks like to humbly serve others. So there's lots of buzzwords. And I think for our listeners, I want we want you to be thinking, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about leadership? What defines your leadership? What needs to define your leadership? So I've got another question for you guys. This is sort of an interesting question. Elizabeth, we'll lead with you. When you think about your journey in leadership, when do you think you first realized that you were an aspiring leader, that God had given you an internal compass that was going to take you forward in leadership? Well, definitely when I was 15. I think a lot of people maybe have this story, but I was 15 and I was working at a summer camp and the leader of the camp came up to me and said, you're a leader, Elizabeth. And ever since that moment, I kind of thought, oh, that's what's wrong with me. Uh, basically, <laughs> that's, that's what's wrong with me because I knew I was different from people in, in situations. I knew I was often the one to speak up or the one to decide on things or, or uh, the one leading the charge on whatever it was when I was a teenager. And so he noticed that in me and he kind of funneled me uh, into some places where I could really shine and thrive. And so I think that's probably the first time. And ever since then, I've kind of embraced that and kind of ran after opportunities in that. Oh, yeah, good. That's good. And I suppose along the way, were there any key moments when you felt like your leadership was really sharpened? Like there was there was a moment when you went, oh, right, I'm the leader. That ever happened? Like, can you think? Yeah, I think so. And I think I, I even back then, I saw myself like, maybe go stepping in I tend to get over my head like I would always step into things I wasn't quite ready for and so I think I've continued that through my whole life when I look back back then I would like say I would always volunteer I'd be like oh yeah I'll do I'll do that even for things when I wasn't quite ready for them and you know what I I all along the way I've done that but even as I've done that through those kind of experiences it's like I got better you know, or I learned something, some kind of lesson in those difficult situations. So in some way, that ability to step forward into things has helped stretch me and grow me as well. So that's a nice, that's a positive spin on some of that. There's negatives of that too that I'm sure we'll talk about. (laughs) That's good. It's like we're going to start calling you Elizabeth the risk taker because you're really saying that you would take risks. Uh, You didn't quite know what the end result was going to be, but you didn't tell yourself a story that you couldn't, you just went ahead and did it. And I really think that's something that all of us who aspire to lead need to think about and embrace. That's good. Okay, David, tell us about when you first knew you were a leader and maybe it's not the time you burnt the curtains in your mom's house. Not sure, but just- just To be clear, I never burned the curtains in my mother's house. I simply took the curtains and made them into verticals so the house was more contemporary. So, right, I forgot you didn't burn the curtains down, you cut the curtains up into strips. Yeah, into right? strips. Just something with the curtains. I think she appreciated it. So I would, I still question whether I'm a leader, Krista, so I don't think you kind of get through that. And frankly, my journey was not into leadership. Um, my journey was into helping people. 
So my call to ministry, if you want to use that term for it, uh, you know, was a specific moment sitting in church. And that was kind of a long story, but a friend of my mother's had taken her own life and my mother was devastated by it. And our pastor was devastated by it. And there was a whole bunch of events, but I remember sitting there thinking, well, this is what God has called me to is to help people. So I actually went all the way through university, have a degree in psychology, went to um, seminary in Chicago in counseling. So that will shock everybody who knows me like counseling. So about one term in, actually less than one term in, it became glaringly obvious that I would be the worst counselor known to mankind unless directive counseling at an extreme level was the way. So a guy who was well known at the time, Gary Collins, who wrote a book called Christian Counseling, was teaching the class and he'd say, when this happens, you do this and my hand's up like, okay, when do you tell them it's sin and it's not okay? And it's like, well, you don't do it that way. I said, but it's sin and it's not okay. And so we had this conversation a bunch of times and he'd come over, talk to me after the class. And I, you know, came to the realization by the end of that term, like I'd better move to New Testament and out of counseling. because <laughs> Counseling is not going to be my forte. That's fairly obvious. So I think kind of the leadership realm, which then morphed pretty quickly into a love for the church and a lot of uh, views of what the church could be and should be and the beauty of it. And um, wanting to be part of that was kind of where that took me. So that was more, I became a leader because of the church and people ultimately, not so much because I had any aspirations to being in charge of anything. Ah, uh, that's, that's really a good, a good uh, kind of avenue to think about in our lives. You know, it's so neat to actually talk about this right now and listen to your stories and the things that God taught you along the way. And it's that retrospect that is so crucial. So I know that I never thought about myself as a leader for a very long time. And uh, David, you know, we've had conversations about how you were so surprised that nobody had really called out leadership in me for a very long time in my life. And I had led, I've been, you know, president of this and that when I was in university and, and, but just never really embraced that uh, as something that I needed to uh, just be obedient to the Lord in. But I remember looking back in my life at, you know, the whole retrospect thing and in grade three, grade three, okay, I could hardly get around in grade three. I was very insecure. I was a very insecure young person because um, you know, I just felt like a fish out of water at the public school. I think I was the only person in my class that went to church. And so I, I remember just always feeling a bit like an odd duck and they all, my dad and mom didn't let me watch much television. And so everybody talked about all these shows they watched on TV. And then I kind of pretended I'd watched them because I didn't want to like not fit in. So that's not really uh, a leadership thing, obviously, but we came to about November of my grade three year, loved my teacher. Her name was Miss Stebner. She read the Bible in the class every morning, which was amazing for the public school system. But then again, I was in public school and Noah built the ark. But uh, what was interesting is we were doing a class play. And in the play, there were all these little Santa Clauses and Mrs. Clauses and, and, and then, the, you know, all the elves, also known as minions, uh, if you work at the Fellowship Ministry Center. And uh, there was one part in that play for an elf that had the idea to save Christmas. And I don't know how it was, but I was the only one that wanted the part. I got to get up in that play and go, I've got an idea. And I've thought back about that so often because in the leadership that God's called me to, so often I've got an idea about what we could do. And it's just so fascinating to look at how we grow, how God shapes us, the things he plants in us to take us on that journey. So that's sort of my little moment, which I didn't realize at the time, probably didn't realize it until about, I don't know, eight years ago when I started thinking about that thing, what that possibly could mean in my life. Okay, I got another question for you guys. Or do you have any comments? I don't have to just ask questions. I will say that often when you look back afterwards, so I, I may not have had a direct, well, being aware of aspirations for leadership. If you look back and that you see that kind of through your childhood, 
and people like for you, Elizabeth, affirming that and mm-hmm. calling that. I mean, I did my first sermon when I was 13 kind of thing with people asking me to do it. But at the time, I didn't think of it in leadership terms at all. I would more tend to think of it in terms of deciding we should change things and I ought to lead the palace revolt. So it wasn't so much that I thought of myself as a leader as much as a person who would challenge stuff and was considered more of a troublemaker than a leader, which in church at that time was not always a good thing. Okay, but let's talk about that for a minute, David, because that's a really interesting perspective on leadership. Uh, We like to define it in a neat and tidy way, but why don't you explore that a little bit with us? Like when you think about when God calls you to leadership, is it around leading or do you think it's more around what needs to change, what needs to happen, a direction that you need to go? Um, either or both. I'm not, I'm not sure I would separate the two entirely. I think our personalities come into play. So um, for Elizabeth and actually for myself, if you looked at Enneagram stuff, if you view it not as sin to do that, but if you did, it would be kind of a, a challenger person. And that's been kind of naturally the case. So you know, in the youth group at church, uh, the, the leaders, the adult leaders would decide who they felt ought to be the leaders I remember being part of a group like, no, you don't get to decide for us. You know, it's a, we can nominate our own people. We can nominate our entire different, different slate and run against all of your in-house nominees. And so doing that kind of thing, which they would view as pretty horrific, especially when we won, it's like, what? You know, it, it was, but I think, you know, part of that, you're never sure looking back. I'm not sure at the time I even thought about it. Is it because I wanted something different or better? or because I just like to challenge stuff. But, you know, often the people in a, particularly in church ministry that we view of, view as troublemakers when they're younger are the people who become the leaders later. And the guys who kind of toe the line are the guys who aren't the leaders at all later on in life, so. Yeah, no, that's really true. I was thinking that is uh, such a a good way to look at even in your youth group look for the ones that are causing a bit of trouble because if that that energy gets channeled in the right way some great things can happen uh, in the mission of the gospel so we read a book uh, that we a book we use with leadership is uh, called leadership and self-deception we use it with our eq boot camps as a staff ministry staff. We've read it. We've read it more than once. I know I think I've been through that book at least four times and I'm due to read it again. So when we look at that book, uh, Elizabeth, mm-hmm. what really steps, you know, you know, is um, something that has struck you, has really stood out to you as you've read that book? I think the biggest thing is that I'm, I'm more of a problem than I thought I was. So some of the maybe relationship problems or conflicts I've co- that have happened around me, that maybe I was more of the problem than I thought I was. And maybe I should have realized that before uh, reading the book, because, you know, that's all based on the Bible and all about what God says about us. But no, it took this book to, for me to realize, oh, maybe I'm the problem. And it taught, you know, the book talks a lot about being in the box and the way that you um, betray yourself, which I think you're going to talk about later. But this idea that we sometimes just don't do what we know we should do. And then when we don't do those things, it causes us to maybe put the blame on somebody else or to think of somebody else in the wrong way. And it starts this vicious circle. And I kind of, I think what the book just made me realize is whenever I start seeing things kind of go sideways is to go, Hey, what role do I have in this? How, what am I, what have I done? What have I thought? How am I perpetuating some kind of wrong idea about this person or about myself? And, and it's really just caused me to look a little bit deeper at, uh, yeah, at really what kind what, what's my role in those problems. Yeah, I know that that's a, that hits a nerve with me. I know that that's uh, part of that book that has kept me up at night or made me think at these, you know, times where I'd be driving to work, 40 minute drive to the office in Fort Langley. And I'd be thinking about that very thing and really Mm -hmm. quite bothered by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. How about you, David? Like what has struck a nerve with you as we've used this book? It's not an entirely new thought, um, a lot of those things, but I think it provides a good vocabulary for conversation. So it, in a sense, it's a, a safe way to have a conversation talking about in the box, out of the box, uh, self-betrayal, some of those things. I probably the, the first time I read it anyway, I, I think the part that struck me, it's sort of like Elizabeth's, but simpler, is that the illustrations they use in the book are so commonplace, so they're not elaborate, fancy hero stories. It's like uh, your baby's crying at night and you turn over and pretend you're asleep so that your spouse has to go get the baby up, you know, <laughs> which is not something you'd say you would ever do, but people do. Or being in the middle seat on an airplane or being on an aisle seat in the airplane and somebody comes in and their spouse, you know, they're separated and you could just swap seats with them, but you pretend you're looking at your newspaper so that you won't have to because uh, you don't want to be in a middle seat, that kind of stuff. Uh, look, pretty much every illustration in there is like, yeah, I've done that and that and that and that. Yeah, I've also done that. So it's pretty hard to avoid. And if you can look at the small or apparently small instances of self-betrayal, that is where you're betraying your own values, which you claim to be following or believing, it makes it um, less easy to avoid the bigger stuff too you realize I'm in this story too. I'm here in the little things and I'm probably here in the big things. Yeah, so it's, I think that that whole concept of self-betrayal is, it's, it's really, um, you know, I think one of the, uh, one of the things that happens with that is you tell yourself a story that makes you feel better about the decision that you're making to not get out of the seat and change seats, to not get out of bed and take care of the baby, whatever it happens to be. And I think that really struck a nerve with me was the fanciful stories that I would tell myself that were so believable and so right in my mind that they allowed me to be the hero of every one of my stories to the detriment of the people I'm in relationship with. Because anytime you make a hero in your story, there's quite potentially a villain lurking somewhere. And so uh, I can think of, I have lots of stories of times my poor husband has been the victim or the villain in my story. I have been the victim in my story. So for sure that happens. So we're gonna like bring this down a notch and make it real. So I don't know, Elizabeth, should we start with you? Can you tell us some time? No, we should start with David. Okay. Start with David. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, you and David are so good at these stories. And I, you know, let David warm us up a little. So I get warmed up to to the idea of sharing my stories. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us, David, about when you have seen that self-betrayal piece really show up in your life. Okay, well, how about this? Because I don't want to help Elizabeth with this. Um, I'll start with a more positive story, not a negative story. Okay. Then I'll give you a negative story. Okay. okay. So okay. Um, when I'm thinking self-betrayal, I think when you act in a way or think in a way um, that's different from your most deeply held personal values, that is the things that you really care about, you find that you're not living in line with those things. So you're outside of your own paradigm. find nothing more discouraging in my life than that. So nothing, uh, nobody will beat me up. Like I'll beat myself up when I realize that's what I'm doing. So it's, it's, it's a nasty thing. And I think for followers of Christ, it ought to be. So here's a good example of a positive thing where I didn't betray myself. Although my coworkers would say I'm insane for doing it, at least some of them. So this summer I painted my house. So I, I paint, it's taken me two years to do it. I've had to replace some fascia boards. It's super high up, at least for me. And it was on five levels up on a scaffolding on top of a ladder where I got stung by some bees. Long story to all that kind of stuff. But um, Mike Mahorter, who works with us, saying, okay, I have no sympathy for you. It's your own fault. You shouldn't be doing it. You should pay somebody to do it. Um, But I don't think what he gets is a value that I would hold is that my action should never be determined by fear. So when I get up high, I'm terrified. I am terrified of heights. So as soon as I realize I'm not going to paint the house and paint, I'm going to pay somebody because I'm terrified of heights. The challenger 
slash pride slash ego sin side of it says no chance, no way, no how. The positive edge of it is I don't ever want fear determining my decisions. And so I just decide I'm going to go do it and I'll go do the highest point first. It'll get easier for one, but my fear will not be the determiner of what I do. So I sweat buckets in raw terror doing the entire thing, but I'll go do it. So because I don't want to violate my value, which is fear will not be the determiner of what I do or do not do. So that, you know, you can look at that as being like, okay, it could be Mike and say, stupidest guy in the world. That's why you just pay somebody to do those sorts of things. And I think it's legitimate if it's work, but if it's just fear, you know, I, I have trouble letting fear be the determiner. So, I mean, that's a mixed bag of good and bad, but that would be one thing. So negative thing, um, I'll give you an example. So you're going to kind of go into this in your next question, Krista. So I'm just kind of leaking into it. Is that what you want? Sure. Well, sure. That's okay. not good. So um, talk about kind of my context for it. So COVID and everything else for us and in my role with Fellowship Pacific, uh, there's conflict at multiple levels on all kinds of issues, um, social issues. If you can name a social issue from residential schools to LGBTQ to whatever, it's all part of kind of that package. COVID creates problems. There's bit stresses occasionally um, with different levels of kind of ecclesiastical government, that kind of thing. So there's conflict all the time. And with COVID, there's it's like every church out there, everybody who's listening to this, you get deathly tired of it, of the conflict and different opinions on every kind of front. It means I don't have that much margin for it. Um, so something occurred at work, this is quite recent for where it was kind of a policy avoidance issue that I don't need to get into. Um, but I got really angry at a couple of people on our staff for that. And the big issue is that, um, first off, I shouldn't get angry. That's betraying what I ought to be. But beyond that, which is way worse, is I used guilt as a way of addressing it, sort of like guilt manipulation as the process for it. And you know, the result of that is that I have to go apologize and fix it, but I'll beat myself up because I realize I'm violating my own values when I do that. I don't believe in doing that. I don't think we should ever do that. I don't also don't think I should ever get angry because I'm perfect, but that's a different problem. We can get into another day. But beyond that, uh, you know, you realize you never get past it. You have times when your margins are too thin. You have times when, um, you're not in the right frame of mind. You have times when you're not close enough to Christ, all kinds of stuff, but you betray your values and you do that. And when you do it almost every time people get hurt, when I do it, people get hurt. And then you go away and you realize you did that to somebody, their actions or what they did or didn't do is kind of irrelevant to it. Cause the only thing that matters is what you do yourself. That's what you control. And so that's a fairly recent thing. And I just walked away and I had to go back and say, I'm sorry for it all, but you still feel like they, you know, you've kind of hurt a relationship at an incremental level anyway, that's going to take a long time to recover because you use guilt in a way that's totally wrong to try and deal with it. Hmm. Or let me be clear. I use guilt in a way that's totally wrong. And so bear the consequence of it. Oh, I know that I totally relate to that. I, um, Hey, Elizabeth, I'm going to give you like a little more time to think because like all oh, okay. airspace now. Are you good with that? Or are you okay. You, you go take up some airspace, Krista. All right. Yeah. So I've got, you know, I've got some issues. I got some issues and uh, it's just amazing right now that none of Can we stop? I'd like to just affirm you on that. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. I, I uh, totally own in it. So I don't know, a number of years ago, uh, I was uh, trying to herd my three children out the door to get them to school. And Marty was, you know, Marty, now he's 22. At the time, he was in grade one. So he's just small. And Marty was always a bit pokey. He was always the last one out the door. And I had, the, I had that minivan revved up and raring to go. And I'm like hollering my head off like a sergeant major, everybody get in the car. And it can, the crazy part about this is you talk about living out your values or living into your values. I'm like, everybody get in the car so that we can have our prayer time, except I'm yelling that at everybody. Okay. So just to give you a little bit of a picture, 
we've got this really bad dog living with us at the time. His name was Ted and we were trying to corral him into the garage and it was just kind of a mess. So anyway, Marty comes running out of the house gets in that van, the mini door, the, the mini door, um, minivan doors close on the sides. I put that van in reverse and I gun it out of the garage. Well, poor Marty. Uh, see, even now, as I tell the story, I'm blaming Marty. Marty mm -hmm. left the door open between the mudroom and the garage. And so I took the whole door right off its hinges. I mean, it was gone off the hitches. And, and, I, and I'm panicking because not only do we have this crazy dog, we also have a cat that want, wanted desperately to be an indoor cat. And we just didn't do indoor cats. We still don't do indoor cats. So I'm trying to prop that door back up into the, and I'm steaming mad and I'm trying to prop the door back up into the gaping hole. The kids are going to be late for school. I'm so, my value that was at the top of the list was these kids are not going to be late for school if it's the last thing I do. So I'm like shooting down the, down the, uh, the low heat highway. And all of a sudden an engine light comes on and I, I've got Erica there and Erica, of course, if Marty's in grade one, Erica's in grade four. I'm like, Erica, get the, get the instruction manual out of the, out of the glove box and figure out, see this light over here, figure out what that light is. So my little four, my little nine-year-old is trying to figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, Marty's in the back crying and crying because this has been so traumatic for him. And I'm like, don't worry about it, Marty. Quit crying. Quit crying. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. I'm just going to end the guilt thing comes in, David. I'm just going to stop at this place. It's they fix transmissions. I'm going to run in there and find out what's wrong with this car. So you've got to realize that I'm in this state of being that there is nothing logical there. My kids are traumatized everything's out of control and I run in to this transmission place and my kids are in the car I left the engine running Marty's still crying I realize there's a big scrape on the side of my my nice minivan Erica's still trying to read the manual we can't figure out about the light and the guy takes one look at me in there and he goes ma'am just take your car to the Honda dealership it'll be fine you're not going to wreck your car but just drop Go drop. He told me what to do. Go drop your kids off and then go to the Honda dealership. So as soon as I dropped the kids off and you got to know that, of course, the prayer time in the van never happened that morning because nobody was on praying ground, including the mother, mostly the mother. I phoned Jerome from my car. And you know what the first words out of my mouth were? You're not going to believe what Marty did. That's what I said. <laughs> I threw my my little six-year-old right under the bus. And of course, my very calm, patient, logical husband doesn't say anything for a moment. And he says, Krista, he says that, you know, um, I think it'll be all right. I, I think, you know, Marty, it's it's okay. And uh, that engine light that you're talking about, he said, um, do you recall on the weekend that when we were in Eastern Washington, you took the car through the car wash with the gas cap off? Do you remember that, Krista? And I'm like, oh, he says, I'm pretty sure that's why the engine light's on. So the end of my story is this. I realized in that moment that my first go-to when things go wrong is to look for somebody else to blame other than myself. It's the ultimate in self-betrayal for sure. And I'm sorry to say that there are times in my leadership that that's my go-to and I have to fight that go-to all the time because- Yeah, and you should finish the story, Krista, because you just displaced all of that anger on your cat and then later on you killed the cat in order to make up for all of those displaced anger from that event. But we don't need to get into that today. That's a story for another day of That's how you killed story. your cat over the cat. I ran over my own cat. That was, you know, I don't even know how my kids made it out of their childhood. I really don't. It's all, your, all your stories involve cars, I think, Krista. Some kind of incident in your vehicle. Yeah. It's yeah. There is a theme there, Elizabeth. There is a theme, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Okay, Elizabeth, tell us your dirty little secrets of sinning by self-betrayal. Oh yeah. Well, most of my most of my stuff has to do with my ego of having too big of an ego um, and being overconfident about things. So I'll tell a story about 
pretty pretty soon after I came to Fellowship Pacific and started talking about all these in the box, out of the box, leadership and self-deception type things. Uh, but what happened is Krista and I and some others uh, we're going to Prince George and we're going to go do a leverage event with some lovely ladies up in Prince George. And Krista had given me this wonderful opportunity to speak at this event. And I was super excited because I was new to my job and I was going to get to speak. And I was really excited as kind of what I wanted to do. And, you know, I was going to be awesome. I was going to rock it. I was going to blow everybody out of the water. And, you know, I worked, I worked really hard on my message. I, I, you know, I studied hard, thought, prayed about it. And uh, Krista offered to help me before we went and she offered to go over with me. And I was like, no, I'm good. And I kind of uh, put her off because I thought I had it under control and I was going to do fine. And we went up uh, to Prince George and uh, it was really busy. And I wasn't yet used to what it was like um, going to these different events, how busy it was. I didn't know what I needed either uh, when we did those things. And it was just busy, 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 and uh, people, 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 right up to this event. And I got up there uh, to, to speak, and I totally, I just biffed it. I did a terrible job. Um, I totally lost my place and my know everything that could happen to you when you are going to go speak. It felt like it happened to me. I totally forgot what I was there to talk about. I could just tell I wasn't connecting with anybody in the audience. It, and the whole time it just went downhill the whole time. And I could just feel it in the room like people and I was making up things that they were saying about me as I was uh, as I was going like, what is she doing there? Why is she? Why is she even here? I hope we never have to hear her speak again. So these things are going over in my mind as I was doing that. And uh, that ended and I was devastated. I thought I'm gonna lose my job. Um, I And I honestly, after that, I blamed Krista for it. Um, I thought it was all her fault, which obviously it was not her fault, uh, but I tried to find all the reasons why it wasn't my fault. And what I realized like this took me a while to realize. I, you know, you think after so many years of leading in the church and doing different things, I would be better at this, but I really am not. It took me a long, long time uh, to realize that that was, that was my fault, that I should have asked for help, that I should have um, taken the time to talk to others. I should have practiced and not just think that I got it. And that's just, I can tell you countless stories where I thought that I had everything under control and didn't and didn't ask for help when I needed it. And that's because I just thought, I've, I think it started, like a lot of this stuff goes back to when we were kids. I was always told as a kid that I was awesome all the time at school, at home. And I just came I to believe it. I dream of that, Elizabeth. <laughs> it's a theme, it's a theme. So I just came to believe it. But I think uh, that was just one event really of, of many where I realized, okay, I sometimes I just I need help and I'm not I don't have everything to all together and there are people who are better than me at things and I need to learn uh, from those people when I can and so I don't know how that connects to all the self betrayal stuff all I know that that really sucked <laughs> that was terrible and I didn't think I would ever I didn't wondered if I would ever speak again and slowly I kind of started uh, doing it again and um and still have a long way to go, but I feel like I'm starting to get better at asking questions. But I think I'll still, I'll always struggle with that. It's just part of who I am in some ways. There you go. Add, my story. Can I add to that? So, sure, not, you to, go ahead. not to your story, not to your story, but to yeah. kind of each of these stories. So when we talk about self betrayal, you know, most people on this podcast listening to it are, are Christian leaders, you know, mostly in Fellowship Pacific, but not exclusively so. Um, I think another thing that's equal self-betrayal, which is just as important, but we don't talk about very much, is that post our failure, and that's what we're talking about. So Krista, you were like a mother failure. Uh, Elizabeth, you were a speaking failure mixed with kind of ego stuff. I completely messed up with staff and, you know, should have been smarter, better, all those sorts of things. We can look at all those stories. It's an equal self-betrayal to not realize that we are sinners who have received redemption and not be able to forgive ourselves. 
and understand that grace, God's grace is sufficient and we never stop needing it. So, you know, part of it, when I, when I live in the anger at myself after that, which is quite a while after I do that, and I can't really delve into the grace of God and learn that just like I shouldn't be using guilt with others, I shouldn't be accepting guilt that's been paid for by Christ. That's equally self-betrayal. And I, I think it's an aspect of it that we don't dig into very much where we talk about, you know, leadership and self-deception. But anyway, it's a sermon for another day, but I think it's worth mentioning. Oh, no, it's really good, David. And Elizabeth, thanks for sharing that story. I know that's not easy to share. And um, you know what? You're doing great. I love how you are, how, you know, when you present and your authenticity and God's got you on a journey like he has all of us on a journey. That's just the bottom line. None, none of us have arrived anywhere. Uh, and sometimes we just go in circles uh, at times before we actually figure out where we're going. And I, I was thinking about how, you know, we did that. The three of us did that leadership um, series this fall, this uh, winter. Sorry, I've got all my, all my, all my, <laughs> this stuff. summer, this summer on leadership at Ridge Church and each of us took some sections of that and that one that I did on on insecurity because that just really um it, it's close to home for me because I've struggled with that my whole life and those those two premise statements David that you had inserted in the board leadership training that we do that the things we need to remember number one we need to remember that we're created in the image of God Imago Day. Number two, that we are joint heirs with Christ, that he thinks so highly of us that he made a way for us to identify with him and know him and walk straight into the presence of God Almighty. And it's it's really those truths and other truths like that that we know out of the word of God that need to inform how we see ourselves. And to your point, David, I think sometimes we are our own worst enemy because we do make mistakes, we don't get it all right, and then we can hardly get over it, and it, it's like a prison that we continually live in, because we are telling ourselves stories about ourselves that are not informed with the truth of who we are in Christ, and I think for many of our leaders, that is the bigger issue. We can, we all know we make mistakes, and you, the three of us, as we talk about this, um, it kind of makes me sad to think, Elizabeth, that you would have thought you would have lost your job over this because there's no way it wasn't even close to that in any way. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is we're really, we're quicker to give grace to each other at times and not give that same grace to ourselves. That's really where that's coming from. And you realize what a handicap that is in your leadership when you live in that really dark place where you're not okay with who God created you to be a big big deal so thank you for sharing those stories i hope that as our listeners are um, hearing this that they're thinking of their own stories and then moving past stuff forgiving themselves forgiving others and moving uh moving forward in their transformation in what who christ has called them to be okay we did talk about uh we thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, leadership that didn't go well but I feel like you guys kind of covered that like David do you have any other good juicy stories <laughs> about uh, times when uh, you didn't lead like you should have led and things you know went off the rails oh so many stories <laughs> Krista you know um Yeah, I don't know if I want to go into any more right now. Uh, do you really want to go into more right now? I don't know. I think we've done pretty good here. I was, I think back to, you know, some of the stuff in my early tenure of leadership in my church, uh, some of the stuff that I, you know, I did. And I remember so often when things would go wrong, I just, I just made myself out to be a poor little victim. Uh, never really owned what was going on, took responsibility, kind of in line with what you shared, Elizabeth, that whole idea of it's got to be somebody else's fault because it's not, can't be mine, you know, because I pretty much am all that in a bag of chips. 
and uh, just the struggle that we have with that. And I think really the challenge that uh, we need to talk about a little bit here today is how do you take what you've learned and help a new generation, a next, the next generation as they are coming up in leadership? What does that look like? Well, I think it starts with us being vulnerable about it, right? Like, I think we have this wrong idea that as a leader, you need to always say all the things that you're good at. And I would much rather be on a podcast that tells you about what I'm good at. I don't really like having to like sharing stories about my failures. I don't, I don't like failing and most people don't. So I think really, if we're going to, we need to be able to be vulnerable ourselves and share our downfalls. But also I think like David and you are saying is we have to have grace for ourselves and we need to be able to move past those things and learn, learn from them. So I don't know. I think the biggest thing is just, yeah, being willing to share about that. Yeah, I think we, we need to model it. It's super important for churches, for a family of churches, for every individual church, for leaders to be able to tell the truth and create an environment in, when, in which our self-deception is an okay conversation and safe, you know, with the people you're with. Not everybody all the time, obviously, because that'd be dumb, but... Uh, Frequently with the people around you that are closest working with you need to be able to do it and be aware that we each have our own kind of besetting sin, if you want. I don't know if that's caused by a personality or by life experience or whatever, but we come to where we are and we have, we have history. You know, as I mentioned this earlier, um, you know, I'm not really worried about things that go wrong. That's never particularly bothered me but I'm worried when I'm wrong. So that's a, it's a little bit different. You know, if you want to say besetting sin, mine is that clearly I, I think I should never be wrong. And when I am, when I act wrongly, when I do a self-betrayal, uh, the hard thing is not what other people think about it, it's what I think of myself. And that gets to ego and pride and arrogance and all kinds of different things going on in that that I realize are not right and they you know if I was to use my psychology background and go analyze myself I would say it goes back to my you know biological father dying just before I was born and wanting approval that you could never get and all that kind of stuff and needing to be right to earn it so you can go back to all of that stuff you know a bit of it is pop psychology because it really doesn't matter what matters is what do you do with it now and in the perfect world, we're getting into a place in churches and for our staff, and you know, this is part of that, even doing this podcast, is to be able to tell the truth about ourselves, to be able to hear it from one another and feel like it's a safe place to do that. And you know, from a serious point of view, but also to be able to laugh at it together because it makes it easier. I think it's really important for the future. Oh, absolutely. Now, it's been really great to chat with you guys about this today, and we're going to bring this to a close now, but I got some super fun uh, rapid fire questions for you, and we're going to start with Elizabeth. So Elizabeth, in one word, if possible, how would you define David's relationship with Winston, his dog? The word that comes to mind is codependent. <laughs> in a positive way or not I'll let you decide (laughs) David knows he gets no judgment from me because I think you could probably use that same word to describe my relationship with my little dog Mona yes I think you know I you you know what I'm just going to affirm you David in your codependency thank you (laughs) There you go. David, I got a question for you. What is the most annoying thing that people do in our office? Okay, that would be the Apple product evangelists who have replaced Jesus with Steve Jobs and their MacBook. (laughs) Nobody more annoying in the world than an Apple evangelist. (laughs) Yeah, that's those are some fighting words. Elizabeth, yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite snack food that we have at the office? Well, either donuts or cinnamon buns or ketchup chips or I don't know, something like that. Anything that's yummy like that. I didn't know you like ketchup chips. 
Yeah. Oh, there's someone else in our office right now who likes ketchup chips. And it's really annoying because, you know, the big box of chips that have the ketchup chips, somebody else has decided that they're going to eat those here. I thought they were all for me. So that's not me. I think (laughs) No, my money's on Dan Cody that he's the other. He's the he might be. I can't remember who it is, but I caught them the other day taking my ketchup chips. So. Oh, that's interesting. The donuts we have are epic. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. I never thought I would eat as many donuts as I have eaten in the last year, but the donuts that David gets at the gourmet donut shop are the best. So mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. Okay, David, what's the life lesson that God just keeps teaching you over and over again? Oh, over and over and over again is that I need to have integrity to be the person that God made me to be, not a caricature that others would like of me. That's good. It's a good lesson for all of us to be thinking about. Elizabeth, what's your favorite way that you get to serve our churches? I think anytime I get to encourage someone to live out their purpose in, in following God. So anytime, whatever that is, like whether it's in a small moment or a bigger moment, whether it's like mentoring and coaching individuals or in a group, I love when I get to maybe help uh, encourage someone to more fully live their purpose. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Okay, David, final question. What is your big God-sized dream that you have for Fellowship Pacific? It's not really a rapid fire kind of question. The bottom line is I would like to reframe, redefine, remake denominationalism in our country to something that helps and develops passion for the next generation for the church. So that's what I'd like to do. I think it needs to be completely reworked. And I'm hoping that we're going to be on the journey to do that. Uh, That is so good. Well, I'm going to tell you right now that I'm 110% with you. I know Elizabeth is as well. Uh, I want to see people coming to Christ in our churches, discipleship being made, leaders being mentored. Um, That just is the most exciting thing that I can think about to do with my life, to do with my day. And I just find it a joy that we get to do this together and serve our churches. We love you, Fellowship Pacific. And so thanks for joining us today for this podcast. Until next time, uh, just know that we're a phone call away here at the Fellowship Ministry Center to help you. If there's anything we can do for you or your church to serve you, we are here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you were encouraged by this conversation and maybe even learned a few things to help you in your own leadership as you serve in whatever place God has put you. And as Krista just mentioned at the end of the episode, our team at the Fellowship Pacific Ministry Center is always here for you and we're ready to serve or support you in any way we can. To find out more about resources we have available and to get in touch with any of us, visit our website at www.febpacific.ca.